valuation multiples in crypto have been, I think, the easiest way to use traditional tools to value these networks. I think the complexity around discounted cash flow models and trying to forecast growth and forecast revenue for anything more than a couple weeks or months out is too hard to do. And there's too much volatility to have a reliable forecast. It's an interesting way to look at it through the, the lens of valuation. I think this valuation approach makes more sense because it's more back of the envelope type of math and is easier to talk about. But there's place and time and place for both methods. This article is from Lydia Hilton, who I noticed she just joined Bain Capital's crypto team. They had a bunch of flack in the news for posting a picture of their team on International Women's Day, and it was like six guys. It was a total fiasco on Twitter. It was a little bit of whatever, but she joined their team, <laughs> and it's a pretty clear olive branch to uh, try to correct for that that issue, I think. But she's put out these really cool articles, and I had never read her content before, but this is a uh, article from her going over some revenue multiples for various layer one protocols. And she talks about comparing web two multiples against each other and what the revenue multiples on these layer one technologies look like versus traditional companies. And my main takeaway here is that some of these revenue multiples are insanely expensive. Polkadot, Terra and Cosmos at between 5,000x for Cosmos and Polkadot at 8,000 8, times revenue. It, so the, the trading value of the token versus the amount of revenue it's generating, the higher that number, the more Ethereum at the lowest revenue multiple number on this chart at 34x is much more in the realm of something that you could stomach as a traditional investor. And my main thing I want to pose to you is how to think about these numbers, because these numbers can only come back to earth one of two ways. Either the enterprise value of the overall market cap of the platform can crash and burn, and there can be a significant correction there, or the amount of revenue the protocol actually generates can skyrocket and the price can go up to a lesser magnitude, right? At the price of the token. So right. yeah, that's where I always have struggled with using multiples because I never really know which direction to use them. And that's why I don't really love using multiples because if everything's expensive, I mean, if you're in the middle of a tech bubble, Peer analysis and multiple analysis means nothing because you're still in for a, a cratering. So what do you what do you think about these valuation techniques? It's tough because you really are kind of stuck with this price to sales proxy, which is protocol revenue um, uh, to fully diluted market cap. You know, you go down some of the other traditional multiples like PEs, but we you know, there really aren't earnings to speak of here. And uh, a lot of these high growth uh, sales companies, even in traditional web two, don't even use PEs because they're constantly reinvesting every dollar back into business. Amazon did it for years, never drew a profit because they were always uh, 
pretty much operating a loss. Um, I think you mentioned a dividend yield or discounted cash flow. Again, we're, we're not getting dividends really. I mean, you could make the argument that staking rewards are a form of that, but I would argue not really. Um, uh, so that's kind of out. One of even the most popular uh, enterprise value to EBITDA, I mean, without any kind of like, that's even worse because without any kind of um, audited financial statement, you, you're getting nowhere there. So this is really what you're left with is just looking at protocol revenue going up. And, uh, you know, to your point, these mature ones are in more like Ethereum, you said it's like 34X. So, um, so yeah, they're just- Well, one comment there I want to make is she brought up how back in 2017, Ethereum's multiple was 7,000X. Right. And right. so what's what's really key to note is we have a had a significant correction in the multiple from 7000 X in 2017 to now 34 X in 2022. Mm -hmm. But two two things have happened. The price of Ethereum has skyrocketed right from what it was even in 2017's height of the bubble and the amount of revenue that protocol generates has skyrocketed along with it is matured so right. you know this is the maturation of the multiple accompanying real growth right so because it's like all right you yep yeah i was just gonna say because the price has gone up it's just that the revenue has like mooned even more and so ultimately yes. that seven thousand x multiple was justified because um you know, no one would be comfortable investing a dollar and then needing 7,000 years to recoup that dollar. So, yes, you're banking on like hundreds of thousands of percent of uh, annual growth. And, uh, you know, and, and like so like you, uh, you referenced, I mean, outside of Ethereum and I don't know, there might be another protocol down in the mid digits. Um, most of these other revenues uh, protocols, especially on the L1s they're right up there in the multiple thousands. And so, yeah, it's maybe this isn't really the best measure. Um, I guess at this point, we're still, you, you have to consider um, the intangibles. Uh, I looked at another piece that was looking at some of the other measurables that correlate to um, uh, the, the market cap and uh, things like total value locked, trading value, um, even just like followers on Twitter, these kind of intangible things, um, they, when you're early on and you just see these skyrocketed multiples and just, it's very hard to build some kind of quantitative model uh, in like that you would in a traditional equity sense. Um, your best indicators might well be these, these intangibles. Um, people voting with their dollars through TVL, people voting with their attention through followers on Twitter, or maybe if you find a way to value the level of engagement on Discord. Now, now these are very tough ways to develop, obviously, very standard measurements, but um, that's kind of where we're at. And um, there does seem to be some correlation to success here. But um, yeah, that name of the game is speculation, so. Yep, two things I want to add real quick, and then let's bring our caller on. Number one, it's the question of how do these groups, how do these companies slash protocols grow into the multiple, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're paying if you're paying, if your multiple is five thousand x, 
uh, price to revenue. You're paying 5,000 times from $1 of, you know, you're, you're paying right. up for growth. You're, you're as an investor, you're paying an insane amount of money. It's expensive, expensive growth. And so what you're hoping is that that company can grow into the multiple through the protocol's revenue growth. And mm -hmm. that's what's happened with Ethereum. And so that's the success. That's, that's how you're hoping that the book to, to your point, this is not a multiple to analyze in isolation of other variables. You have to look at more than one thing. And so as far as a quantitative model goes, I don't think there's a golden bullet for doing that, even in the stock market. I think these are all just back of the envelope ways to <laughs> usually you're already trying to just justify your, your existing bias with your, your right. thesis by bringing in these multiples, even in the stock market. I mean, you're just looking at these numbers, trying to, to add fuel to your fire for whatever you're trying to pitch to clients, to your syndicate, to whomever. Um, at least that's my opinion. Yeah. Um, well, and I mean, as these protocols mature, as this whole space matures, um, if you investors, token holders can be relatively patient when they understand, uh, this is a long term. you know, you need this moonshot growth, but, um, as they mature, you know, you might get some pricing pressure there. Um, as the space becomes maybe more competitive, uh, you know, we talk about how these are meant to lower fees and, and lower costs, but um, at the end of the day, these the token holders, the, the protocols themselves want to extract a lot of value from their users. So um, it's an interesting dynamic with uh, the whole concept of cryptocurrency. The users are the owners. And so, yeah, yeah, as pricing pressure increases, assuming it does. I guess I don't know what that balance ends up being now that you have customers and owners blended together. It's a, it's a different dynamic. Over. Um, and we should have some time to maybe take a call at the end, but uh, I think uh, it's been a while since we've checked in on El Salvador. Um, and I think now might be a good time because there was a really good piece in the uh, rest of world website and uh, we'll link it here in the, in the uh, episode, recommend everyone go check it out. But uh, as a recap, El Salvador made Bitcoin legal tender in September 21 with a lot of fanfare behind it. Uh, President Nayib Bukele was the biggest endorser. Uh, he claimed that Bitcoin would help design a country for the future. And he's even trying to build a Bitcoin city in his country. Uh, really to help get this going, though, the government led the effort to develop a technology so that their citizens could actually buy, sell, and hold Bitcoin. Uh, this included a developed uh, digital wallet called Chivo. It's like Venmo or PayPal. And it was developed by the same company, Athena Bitcoin, that had also been uh, responsible for installing hundreds of specialized ATMs throughout the country to help uh, its citizens convert their uh, fiat into Bitcoin. So unfortunately, complaints arose. This wasn't an easy or a smooth rollout. Uh, lack of ready access to these Bitcoin-capable ATMs, technical issues with the government helpline uh, for the wallet. Uh, you have volatility just in the price of Bitcoin, using that as a uh, store of value means of exchange for these um, business owners. 
then you also have, frankly, a government that's become a bit unreliable in their messaging and just the basic facts. They claimed that in January of this year, they claimed that 4 million unique users had used the government wallet over the last several weeks, which is about the entire population of the country. But uh, surveys done by non-government organizations uh, stated that 86% of surveyed businesses said they had never even used Bitcoin for transactions, and only about 3.5% said it had helped with sales. There's other issues I think I might want to get into, um, some more details, but uh, as we stand here, let's see, what are we, about uh, seven months out from when it was uh, rolled out as legal tender? How, what's your read of how the first seven months have gone? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's just been a big show. This, I would prefer to go there for myself and see it instead of trusting mm -hmm. a potentially biased media source because you never really know until you go and see it. But I, yeah. I find it easy to believe that this is the Potemkin Village idea where they, for this Bitcoin week, that they, they maybe just put a big effort around setting up booths and making it look like it was integrated more so than it actually has been as far as cryptocurrency adoption there. Mm -hmm. And I think that this, this gets to a bigger debate about can the government uh, incentive alignment, right? Because are, are his, are the presidents of El Salvador's, uh, are his incentives aligned with the people's incentives of just living their lives and making a living? I, I don't, no, it doesn't really seem like it the way this article pitches it. And a lot of the discussion has been around, is he just doing this to alleviate his, uh, his country's inability to, to make good on its debt? Uh, and it's mm -hmm. a lot of debt they owe. So by potentially rebalancing out everything and using access to crypto markets, it's one way where they can get around that. Now, that's fine. I, I applaud any crafty ways of using crypto markets to get ahead in life. And so I don't find a lot of fault with that as long as there's no real ill will. But of course, this is not a transparent situation. They apparently, apparently 99% of this Chivo wallet company is owned by the government. And this is the, the wallet that's causing all these problems for people in the country. So what's actually going on behind the scenes with this wallet that apparently has a terrible user experience. This is why incentive alignment must occur when you have these entrepreneurial projects in countries or in governments or in cities. And so you, you have to be able to trust the companies doing the work. And if they're not, if they're not incentivized by trying to make money, they're not going to pay customer service reps what they should be earning for the best customer service that can be provided. They're not going to pay for developers to build an amazing user experience because they aren't incentivized to make profit. They are incentivized to help this president get around the IMF, right? So if that's indeed what's happening, and this, this all comes down to incentives of government and what versus private enterprise, I think. Yeah, mouthful, but uh, yeah, that's my no, no, take. I, I, I agree. I'm, I mean, I think my takes are kind of with you. It's just that, like, uh, when this first happened, I mean, uh, Bukel, President Bukel, went to, to a Miami conference. I think it was either January, or December, 
and uh, showed up to announce just how all the plans that centered around this. And there was a lot of fanfare among Bitcoin enthusiasts that finally there was a country that was willing to take the plunge and be the first in the waters of making Bitcoin legal tender. And there was this air of a uh, self-fulfilling prophecy that this was almost a matter of flipping a switch. And now Bitcoin was going to have its moment to prove just how well it could work. And it's not really that because it's, it's, it's one thing to try to do something, but um, Bitcoin just can't work on its own. It needs infrastructure. I mean, half the people in the country aren't even online. If you're not online, you can't use Bitcoin. It's, it's uh, a lot of people don't have smartphones. Um, to your, you know, there's wallets that have to be rolled out and people have to be signed up and there has to be a measure of trust that your government is really, like you said, doing this with the best of intentions to make commerce and people's lives easier. And so there's all of this infrastructure that has to go into place. And uh, this, and then it really comes down to, okay, well, who's, who's doing this? And this government doesn't seem like they're either up to the task. And again, I don't, I'm not an expert. I don't want to start labeling who, where his intentions are at, but I mean, there's a lot of questions, especially with this overhanging debt payment and trying to roll out. A, what they're trying to also do, by the way, is roll out a Bitcoin city with a Bitcoin loan. And so what they're looking for is a billion dollars in Bitcoin from contributors so that they can build this new city. But even their own finance minister said like, well, you know, he, he wouldn't say whether or not they would use this money that's designated for this new Bitcoin city to pay off this IMF loan. So a lot of suspicions uh, over the intent. And when you need a government to do its job to actually get you to the point where Bitcoin is actually really an alternative, but you can't trust that government. Um, it's just, I guess my, my takeaway is like, you can't just switch to Bitcoin. An individual can, you know, if the, if the infrastructure is in place, but not all governments, not all countries are operating at the same point. So it's just, um, Sometimes just saying let's switch to Bitcoin isn't a little easier said than done. <laughs> I know. I, I couldn't agree more. And there was this quote from a person, a citizen over there, and she said that the she didn't fully understand the technology and that the value of Bitcoin had not risen enough to give her the savings she had hoped for. So I think, unfortunately, this had been positioned and sold to people as look at how much Bitcoin Bitcoin and crypto has has gone up. Don't you want to get a part of that? You know, it's it's really sad. It's really sad to try to sell a entire country on the the FOMO part of crypto, and then they're left bag holding something that's gone down fifty percent. Versus, why aren't you just using stablecoin stuff? Like, why aren't you just mm -hmm. doing doing something that makes more sense? I mean, if you if you could, there's apps that exist where you can you can transact something like Bitcoin, and then very easily through the app you can just get exposure to DeFi pools where you're in stable coins and doing different things. It's we need to get access opened up to those different markets for these types of individuals. But if they don't even have phones yet, they're not going to know how to do even a simple UX on a phone. So mm -hmm. it's it's a bit of a shame that people like that, the everyday person who's left holding bags of coins that are down so badly, um, you know, they don't have a lot of money to begin with. And that's ultimately who this affects more.
Um, yeah. So hopefully it improves, you know. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Um, I don't know. Uh, they still remain pretty much the only country I'm aware of that is really deep into this. Bitcoin is now, you know, accepted currency. So they kind of remain our test case. We'll probably keep checking in, but um, I've heard some rumblings from other countries. I don't have them off the top of my head, but um, yeah, I think it's, uh, this is where Bitcoin wants to go. I mean, the biggest advocates like uh, Jack and Twitter, that this is kind of, not this specifically, but the general approach to Bitcoin replacing fiat is his goal. And so you have very loud, powerful, influential proponents of this path. So yeah, something we'll keep an eye on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we could talk about this for hours. I know. So. Yeah, we could. But I think we're up on time. So Yeah, we are. Uh, we're quite long. Great to talk to you today, bud. Uh, we'll be back uh, tomorrow for another episode. And uh, thanks for tuning in. See ya.